Well, good morning. Great to see you guys today. Quick thank you for a number of you who have expressed your great joy in praying for the the pastors and the elders and others who uh, were a part of the Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference this past week. Um, it's it's, it's kind of kind of cool to have people who are excited to be praying for you. That's just how they approach you. Just excited to have been praying for you, and so unquestionably your prayers accomplish much. And so they were a time of great ministry to us and very much an encouragement to us. So thank you. Open up in your Bible this morning to First Corinthians chapter one. We just get our passage in front of us this morning as we further explore something that we're taking some, we're slowing down here and looking ahead. We're going to, we're going to speed up a good bit in the chapters ahead, but this, this, this has got too much in it for us to move too quickly through it. So we are exploring a, a little phrase here that Paul introduces in this initial engagement with the church in Corinth. And it's, it's this phrase, the word of the cross. And so we're going to explore that further this morning. But let's read, <clears throat> let me read a couple of little background. I want to just read from, from verse 26 to 31. But remember what, what came before that. Starting in verse 10, there was an appeal. Paul opening his appeal to the church. Brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So this is what he wants to aim them at. And this is what he wants to make them aware of, that, that you're not accomplishing this. Right? So there's a little bit of a correction and, an, and, an, and a goal here that's set before them. And then in verse 17, he begins to move the conversation <clears throat> toward this word of the cross. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. There was a controversy about what was going on with that, but to preach the gospel. And so there's a, a bit of an interchangeability here, I think, when he mentions the gospel. He says, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So this phrase gets connected to and identified with concepts like, the God, I came to preach the gospel. And the next thought out of his mouth is this gospel is the word of the cross. The good news for us is bound up in this concept called the word of the cross. And then in verse 26, he's going to ask us to consider something in particular. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in 
the Lord. Well, Lord, thank you for these words, these words that are unlike any other words that we hear or encounter, for they are inspired living words. And Lord, they are also too deep for us and beyond us, perfect in ways that we don't have the capacity to venture into apart from your help. And Lord, we ask for that this morning as we are staring into these words that you have given to us. Holy Spirit, you must open our eyes and give us hearts that want to hear this, no matter how uncomfortable it is. No matter what way it challenges us. No matter how it uproots our loyalties. But we want to hear. That's why we're here this morning. Holy Spirit, help us to do just that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in, in, my, in my home, eating is an adventure. And I love to eat. So this works well. It was a, it was a good, good marriage that God would put in my wife this creative energy and love for uh, blessing her family with with food and not just you know something on the table but for her it's 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 an it's artistry it's it's chemistry it's it's intrigue it's adventure so when, when i eat there there's this adventure going on that i've been trained by this adventure that i'm i'm looking to try and figure out what makes this what it is Right, might just be called a dish, but you know, you guys know this, right? When you bite into something, there, there's like these multiple experiences that you have. Could be sweet and followed by a little salty, and spice kicks in later. It's like this full orbed experience. Um, right, so just a couple of weeks ago, my wife had made a chocolate cake. Familiar with chocolate cakes? Got a lot of experience in chocolate cakes. But I bite into this chocolate cake, and of course, I'm, I'm always looking for the adventure. And I notice this is. This is different. This is, I've seen this cake before, but this tastes a little different. It's like, is there coconut in this? And, and a trained palate, there was. Because there's actually, well, strangely, there's, there's coffee in this chocolate cake. But we had some flavored coffee, and she used the flavored coffee that had coconut in it. And so, subtly into this chocolate cake came coconut flavor, Right? Uh, what's this got to do with First Corinthians? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to make you hungry. Um, well, you know, when we throw out, you know, throw out the word flavor, it's like an umbrella word that's got a lot of stuff underneath it. We throw out the word of the cross to us. There, there's a lot to taste in here. So what comes to mind as we explore this word of the cross, is this multifaceted, this layered experience of ingredients that are in this word of the cross, right? How many of us know that God meant for the word of the cross that Paul is going to draw on here to help these Corinthians? He meant for that to be more than imagery that involved a rugged piece of wood and cold, sharp nails and bloodshed. And this instrument of capital punishment invented by the Romans. So when Paul says the word of the cross, how many of you know that God had more in mind than just that image? That, that what comes to mind is splintered wood and physical pain. There's more here. 
then that, although that does say something to us about this word of the cross. So when we bite into this, when we sample this, and Paul immediately begins to move into some elements here that we want to take notice of. And one of the first things that's here to take notice of is, is this word of the cross is going, to, is going to touch our lives in two ways. And he's brought it out already. There's going to be individuals in this passage. There are people following ideas that are, that are messing up their, their own personal lives. They're just not going well. There's conflicts and there's quarrels. There's boasting that makes for territory, that people are going to now defend something that of them is of great value. And, and listen, I don't know if you figured your life out very well, but when you start defending territory, you start inviting some misery into your life. Because now life's got to be a certain way. It's got to feel a certain way. It's got to do a certain thing for you. And you got to make sure you move all the parts. Get around the people. Further opportunities because you've made life dependent on it feeling a certain way for you. And you've got to make sure that's going to happen now. And, and you just signed on from some incredible misery in your life. Because you know this, no matter how hard you're fighting to make your life exactly what you want it to be, no one gets to have their life be exactly what you want it to be. Because the God of the universe who created everything created everything to be a certain thing for his purpose. So there's an individual component that's here, but the thing that's, that's driving Paul to address this group is, is the corporate component of it as well. And, and Evan kind of alluded to this when he was just sharing about new members class and, and understanding our connection to each other. Paul's concern in the beginning here of these divisions in verse 10 And that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. So this word of the cross comes to us individually to address some of the issues and disruptions of our own hearts. But it is there also to unite us together in a common mission that we share that should be part of shaping the way you and I live our lives. Because that mission is going to make you do things that you wouldn't have done otherwise. It's going to make you spend your time, your energy. It's going to make you go into territory that you wouldn't have gone. It's going to make you take chances, overcome fears, be around people that you would not have chose to do that. But yet the word of the cross is building this community of people together. So when we listen this morning, and every time we come in here, we we can't just listen for, hey, uh, Drove up this morning, parked in the parking lot, came to church because I just needed a personal word of inspiration to just keep me going on, on my mission through life. The things that I'm up to, the things that matter to me. I just, I just need to pick me up an inspirational moment. Uh, I, yeah, I get that. And we all do. We all, and then there's nothing wrong with needing that. But the Bible is addressing both our personal existence and our corporate existence. Almost always. It almost never has just you in mind. Even though it does have you in mind. So we need to hear with both of those ears here. Well this verse here in verse 26. It is going to call us to, to taste something. right? Something that is going to pass across the, the taste buds if you will. The taste buds of our minds. It's just not going to be sitting on a shelf. Not going to be a, a, a cake sitting over there that well... 
didn't taste it, but I, yeah, I kind of see it. The concept exists in my mind. Now, this is, this is calling us to taste something, right? And, it, and it's, it's starting off that the, the previous verses that we explored last week, it's highlighting that the word of the cross tastes a certain way, but it's not attractive to the people who are in the world. They're not, they think it's foolish. They think it's a waste of time. They're not pulling up to, to take a bite of this with you. They're, they're into other things. They're into things that accentuate excessive individuality. Think things that are more about my self-pursuit. Things that orient more about me. See, that's, that's what creates this conflict of boasting. This passage is about whether I'm going to boast in the Lord or whether I'm still going to be boasting in me. Well, the only way I'm going to boast in me is if I'm furthering my own self-interest and I'm building a me project that I, I want to feel good about and I want you to feel good about it and, and I'm looking for some reward based on me and who I am and who I get to be. Well, the word of the cross sounds foolish to that project. It sounds stupid. This God who lays down His great glory and takes on the form of a human being. What a demotion. What an unglorious presentation of yourself. When you go from being the ultimate of all creation to just one of the billions who just walked around in a human body. Trapped in time. No longer eternal Knowing and being everywhere all at once. What a, what a demotion this is. So to move in that direction doesn't make anybody go, I want to do that. I want to take where I am and I want, I want to substitute something less for that. I want to serve something else besides my own interests. Right? So this sounds stupid. The world that we live in is not going to stand back and applaud the, world of, the word of the cross. If you and I are waiting for this to become popular so that we'll be more attracted to it, you'll be waiting forever. That's not going to happen. But there is something here that when God pulls the blinders back, well, there's some sweetness here. There's something to be tasted here. And this word, consider. For consider your calling. That consider, it's a good word. It's a helpful word. Here, I put in your outline there. the, The word in the original language in the Greek is the word blepo. It means to see, to discern, to perceive. So there's something more there than just awareness at a distance. Something over there. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. No, no, no. Did you you discern that? Did you see something in it? To perceive by the senses. To to feel, that word means. So it's, it's something there that begins to be felt by us. To discover by use, to know by experience. That's what that word means. That's why I like the word taste. Because right? you know there's a big difference between seeing chocolate cake and tasting chocolate cakes. Man, I had no idea that there, there's some hidden coconut in that cake. I can't, I can't see that with my eye. I'm going to have to taste it to experience And there are things in the word of the cross that are like that. You you have to taste it. You have to get near it. It's got to be an encounter with us. It just can't be something at a distance that we've casually stared at. Lest it becomes inoperative and not effective in our souls. 
That's a question. As rich as the word of the cross is, how many of you know that it can become an ineffective word? Is that a scary thought? The word of the cross? Really? Yeah. Why, why do you think we're reading this the way it is? Why do you think it came up right here? Because the Corinthians were doing exactly that. They were, they were being under-affected by what was in the word of the cross. So Paul's got to break out the ingredients here and explain some things about the word of the cross to get them to taste it. Again, because their lives appeared to not be very affected by this. And you know, this is not just a chapter one issue for the Corinthians as we scoot through this book. And remember, these are Christians in Corinth. They're believers. These are believers that in some categories of their walk could take us to school. These guys experienced elements of the Holy Spirit that many fail to experience at the level that they were experiencing. So while there was a life in some categories, there was dysfunction in other categories. And they have a long list of dysfunction. It's not just there in verse 10. Right, we're going we're gonna to find a people who struggle with comparison. Who are guilty of sexual immorality. Who, there are conflicts among them. There are lawsuits. They're taking each other to court. There is pride among them. There is discrimination between the stratus of sociological and economic people within the church. This is all happening to Christians. So don't, don't let us think that, hey, the word of, yeah, I get that, the word of the cross. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. Uh, th- there's a tasting here that needs to be happening for us as well. You taste something that is transformative. Taste something that has an impact on our soul. So question If what's needed right here is a considering, consider, stare at this more carefully, bite on it and taste it. If conflicts and loyalties and division are are part of my world, is is it safe, just consider, is it safe for me to say maybe I have a tasting problem? Maybe I have a considering problem. Listen, at this level of our lives, at the human being level, there are, there are disappointments and problems and dysfunction just waiting to happen. Just waiting to happen. I, I can probably say this with certainty. You will not escape life in this world connected to people without being disappointed by them. No matter who they are. Some people feel a little safer than others, and they probably are. They will disappoint you at some point. Human relationships are awaiting brokenness to just come to your category at some point in your life. And this verse lifts our eyes to something that is so critical and so needful. It's going to rescue us from what we keep trying to draw out of others to get it from here. So... There's an ingredient in here. It's, it's, it's the grace of God that's in the word of the cross. That I want to bite into this. I want to taste this. So that's what we're invited to do. And he starts with this. Consider 
your calling, brothers. Consider your calling. So to to bring to bear, here's an ingredient. This is an ingredient of the word of the cross. It answers the question, how'd you get here? How did this word of the cross become something about you? How did this originate? This takes us back to origin. And then this is why I think this is why Paul starts here, why the Holy Spirit inspires him to start here. Because this is a key ingredient to figuring out who, who am I? There's something unique about figuring out who you are. And, and quite honestly, we're all living our life trying to figure out, man, who am I? Where do I draw my self-definition from? This is why family sits in such a unique, powerful category. Because that's where you come from. Those people are your origins. That's why hometowns have a strange power over people. I think it's funny sometimes people go off and they get real big and famous and they, you know, they can live anywhere in the world that they want. And they, one of the houses that they own is in their hometown. You know, so can buy some little hometown thing. There's just something about those origins that help us, that speak to us, that have this defining influence in our life because the reality is all of us are struggling through this world to find self-definition. Who am I? And how do you go about answering that? Is it based on talent? Is it based on people? Is it based on successes that you've had? Is it based on a reputation? People noticed you early on in life, so you said, hey, I want to live right here. This is who I am. I want to be that just at a greater level, so later on people will notice me. Whatever that is, because you're funny. You're a class clown, so that's what you want to be. You just want to, every room that you walk into is an audience and an opportunity for you to perform a little, get a laugh, be known as that guy. And, you know, for those of you who do that well, this is not a rebuke. Please continue. You are funny to be around. (laughs) Is it attractiveness that from an early age people paid attention to you because of beauty? And you got noticed for that and that becomes something that you kind of draw your life into and it becomes this identifying thing. We're all looking for someone. You're just really smart. You're just this person who can invent and figure out everything, math and everything, this. And people noticed that and applauded that. Therefore, you thought, this is the place for me. This is where I want to create a name for myself. Why are we drawn to that kind of stuff? And here's an interesting thought from N.T. Wright in his commentary. He says, there is a true but sad story about Cosmo Gordon Lang. He was Archbishop of Canterbury from 1928 to 1942. In his day, there was no compulsory retirement age for archbishops. But when he reached his late 70s, realizing that he was becoming physically frail, he decided to leave office. But in a revealing remark... To a colleague, he showed his real fear. A fear which one might have hoped an archbishop would long since have outgrown. He said, having been somebody, he remarked, I shall now be nobody. The world is full of somebodies and nobodies. It does neither of them any good. I don't know if you ever thought about it. You know, is that what life is? Life is a quest to be somebody. To find some place where I, 
I am something defines me. I, I am somebody. I'm acknowledged. I show up. I matter. To live life that way, listen, this is a terrible tyrant to serve in life. You know, all, all the young people right here, you're, you're, on the, you're on the wannabe side of this. And so I want to be. There's land in front of me. There's a future ahead of me. I want, what, what do you want to be, right? I mean, what, what, are, you, what are you going after that's going to help answer this question for your soul? And then for, if you get older, you know, you, a little more pressure, you got to be. Right? I got I to gotta be. I got to get this. I got to be that. I got to advance in my career or this opportunity. I got to sustain this. I can't lose this, right? This is where all of our weirdness comes from, right? Our fears and freaking out. And, and then you're going to find you're going to get to a point later in life and your thought is going to be, I, I used to be. I used to be. All right, looking around, there's a lot, of, a lot of guys I've known for years who used to be athletes. <laughs> and we really wanted to be right we wanted to be we you know we wanted to be known defined applauded by that and where you at now slow i was going to say balding but that has nothing to do with your lack of athletic ability that's it's a different issue but it's part of the issue right and and, and later on something else is going to be a used to be category This is hard stuff to navigate, right? Your life feels a certain way as you try to go through these seasons of your life. Right? Maybe, maybe not an athlete, maybe you're a mom, right? And, and you wanted to be a mom. And then there's all the pressure of being a mom, being influential, guarding, caring for, being wise with your children. And I know you, you never stop being a mom, but at some point you're going to be a used to be in that category and in all these moments this is where identity crisis comes from doesn't it because there's something in us that's looking for a definition i'm trying to get defined by something so who am i is in this consider your calling consider it stop take a bite taste it with me and see what it tastes like and what it says to our lives. Don't rush past this. Don't just, oh, the word of the cross. And over here, I'm having a meltdown. And I'm having midlife crisis. And, a, and a, an identity crisis is going on in my life. Yeah, but the word of the cross. Yeah, Keith, I love that. The gospel, man. The gospel. And over here, I'm all freaking out. There's a disconnect when that happens. This reality doesn't taste like anything to us. And this is a tasting verse. Stop and consider your calling. What are you called to? What do you think this verse is talking about? Because you and I might feel like we're called to be a fireman or I'm called to be a this or a that. I'm I'm called to be a mom or a dad. I mean, you know that that's not what this verse is talking about. As important as those things might be, they are not of ultimate importance. The calling in this verse is a calling to God, for God, and for his purpose that he created for me to exist in and for you too. A familiar verse, 1 Peter chapter 2. It's just 
This is an identity verse that should never live far from us. Peter says, but you are a chosen race or generation. God has chosen a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? If, if there's a purpose statement that exists that governs our lives when we awake every day, it's right there. And wh- why do I exist? Why am I drawing breath? Why am I doing anything that I'm doing? Why am I traveling down the road that has a unique scenery that my life has? It's for this reason. That, Keith, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. See, that, that is a rescuing concept. Because you might come to this moment in your life, who am I? Why do I exist? And, and there, there's some kind of success, there's come some kind of title, there's some kind of recognition, there's some kind of feedback from life. Life was supposed to feel a certain way. Certain degrees were supposed to have taken place. Letters behind your name. People who look to you a certain way. And you can subscribe to all that. And, and the more you do, the more you shift your life into the category that Paul starts off correcting. That's going to make you boastful oriented. So what God does here is he gives us something that transcends all that. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Did did you know that there are people who haven't gone through a day of education in their life on this planet? Who are proclaiming the excellencies of God. They didn't need to go to the private school that your parents went broke sending you to. They didn't need your degree. They didn't need to live in America and own all the things that Americans own or the ones that you and I are miserable about because we can't seem to own. And they're fulfilling their purpose in this life. There are married people and single people fulfilling this purpose in their life. There are young and old. There are people with great athletic talents. We know who we are. There are those who... Just You just look like you're doing everything left-handed and you're not left-handed. Uh, but you're fulfilling the purpose for which God has created you to proclaim the excellencies of him with all the nuances and variation and assignments that God has created. Consider your calling. Now what's interesting here is this is a, this is a letter full of problematic behavior. And as a means of getting to that, Paul says, hey, you know, you're going to have to consider your calling. Because the way you're living your life seems to be, you haven't tasted this. This hasn't shown up in you in a way. It's like, wow, I I get that. Hey, hey, is there calling in this? Just took a bite of that word of the cross. Is there calling in this? Yeah, there's calling. Your calling is in this. You get to taste it. And Peter does the same thing, interestingly. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are God's people. You are God's people. I, you know, I don't know what peeps you wanted to be a part of before you came in here. Everybody wants their peeps, right? Mm-hmm. 
Isn't it staggering that this verse tells us something that is almost like a speed bump and doesn't even catch my attention? Maybe Maybe I wanted to be a Bill Gates peeps or a Beyonce peeps or whatever. I just, you know, I just wanted some avenue of life that was appealing. I wanted that lifestyle. I wanted to be associated with something. I wanted to be identified with that. That makes me feel like my life matters and it feels right. And then the Bible comes along and breaks this news to you that you are God's peeps. And that should, set, should that not settle the whole matter? Can I just stop wanting to be anybody's peeps once I've become God's? I'm God's peeps. I don't need to be your peeps or anybody else's peeps. I don't need to dress a certain way, accomplish a certain thing, be around the right people, be applauded for something that somebody else got. I don't need to do any of that because this is my calling. This is defining me. I'm, I'm God's peeps. I am right now God's peeps. See, the problem is we don't, that doesn't taste like anything, does it? I've not really considered the weighty value and meaningfulness of this for my own soul. So I'm still trying to be your peeps and that one's peeps. And and that's where I'm trying to manipulate things. And I'm I'm really, really upset if you're not looking like you're letting me be your peeps. And I'm not fitting in with your little group because I don't wear the right tennis shoes and act the right way and listen to the right music and... You know, so I can't be your peeps and I go home from school depressed and upset and freaked out. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be wonderful to live in this world not having to be anybody's peeps? Wouldn't that be a cool thing? And, and here it is available to us. And look what, look what it does. Immediately Peter explains this to us and then he turns around and talks lifestyle issues. He says, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Right? These passions, these cravings, these desires, that's your alternative. You can go self-centered and self-focused and find something that you can boast in. And when your boasting is hot, you're feeling good about yourself. Or you can find your personage, your identity, your purpose in God. In his calling of you. And Paul's going to do the same thing to the Corinthians. Their dysfunction, their, they can't get along, their ambitions, they're rolling over each other, they're misplacing their corporate identity, furthering the kingdom of God, is a matter of consider your calling. How'd you get here? How'd you get to be who you are? How about this ingredient? There's an ingredient in this calling that's a taste, a tasting of the ingredient of sovereign election in salvation. How'd you get here? How'd you get to be part of the kingdom of God? How did that ever happen? You got to go back to origins and those origins taste a certain way. Well, remember verse 20 and 21? Verse 21 is for since in the wisdom of God, right, in God's wisdom, the way that he created, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It, it wasn't through the power, the intellect, the pursuits, the discovery of man that man comes into a relationship with the living God. And God made sure of that. 
So how'd you get there? Well, just in case we're hard of hearing, God says over and over and over again, verse 27, God chose. How'd you get there? God chose. Well, I thought I chose. Well, you you did. But that's so tucked away behind this noisy, loud reality. God chose. And, and, And you can't explain any choices you've made apart from this one. God chose. Over and over again, it's going to say it. God chose what's foolish. God chose what's weak. God chose what's low and despised. God did some choosing. So when I taste that, that reality that God has chosen me, what does that taste like? What does that produce in me? How does that affect the way I go about living my life? All right, several thoughts there in your outline. I'm just going to breathe through them quick. Well, it tastes like man cannot boast in or take credit for his salvation or his knowledge of God through the use of human intelligence. Right? If you fast forward a little bit, which we'll get into next week, there are things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have only become known to us by the Spirit. So, so again, how did you come to know what you know? Because you're... You're smarter than all those idiots out there, right? This is a gathering of smart people, isn't it? I mean, really, driving by on the highway out there. One idiot after another. Right? Because if they weren't idiots, they'd have made the same choice we made. And they'd be here worshiping the living God. And going to heaven and experiencing that for the rest of eternity. Smart people and idiots. Does that sound right? (laughs) But, you know, if really this is about your choosing, it's kind of hard not to go there. The only thing that separates you from the righteous path with all of its goodness that you're living and the person over here who's destroying his life in false pursuits is that you chose... You stare at that guy and you just wonder, why don't, why don't you just make a different choice? I did. And then you read the Bible and you'll find not just in this place, but all over the place. Why? Why is this my story? Because God chose. So I'm one of God's peeps. I am where I am. I have the future that I have. I have the wealth and the inheritance that I have. Not because of me. But because of him. What does that do to you? It's pretty humbling, isn't it? You're here on some extreme heavenly welfare check. That you didn't even have the sense or the knowledge to know it existed or that you needed it. And that we were all too arrogant to say that we wanted it. And yet here we are anyway. Can you explain that? Is there something about you you'd like to tell me about that caused that to happen? 
Or is this just head-scratching, humble ground for us to stand on together that we get to be these people before the presence of the living God because of what he did? Right. How many know this might translate into, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, that was going on in the church there. This boast-centric problem in the church where people are fighting for their own territory. How many know this concept might undo that? This conflict thing that happens between us where we hold our ground and refuse because somebody didn't do right by me. This, This might affect that, might it? To recognize all that we have that we did not deserve. What about this thought? This, you, you taste this sovereign election. It tastes like inclusion and security. Right? Do you taste that in here? You are included in something. And listen, that's no small thing. Everybody wants to be picked. Right? Go back to the playground. Some of us never had this experience, but for those of you who were picked last, sorry. But you wanted to be picked, right? I just want to feel like somebody, you know, what was it like to be the first round pick? Right? You know, you gather on the, you know, everybody knows who that guy was, right? You gather and you, all right, pick teams. That guy always got picked first. He's always the first pick. And then the other team was like bemoaning, oh, great, we're going to lose now. I mean, doesn't it make you feel like, hey, I got picked. I got picked. When, when someone proposed and said, I, I want to share the rest of my life with you. I don't want anybody else but you. We, we want to be included. There's something inescapable in our human experience that we want to be included. Well, this needs to show up. There's a God who has picked us, who has included us in his kingdom. And in eternal things. Right? Remember this verse? And this is all over scripture. We drown in looking at all this. Ephesians 1. Verse 4. says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. These are enormously meaningful things to taste in this word of the cross. That includes how did we get here? How'd you get here? Before I ever existed, before I had done anything, before anything attractive, repulsive, unique, number one draft pick material, before anything of my existence, from the foundations of the world, in love, God chose and included me in his life. Can you... Take this in and, and kind of unemploy people a little bit. Can we let people off the hook a little bit? That I can drink this in in such a way that, that I'm not so desperate to have you include me. That I'm freaked out, manipulative, attacking you, talking behind your back. We're, we're talking, I want you to include me. 
Well, what about being included by God? Does that matter at all to me? That God has given me an inclusion in him. That God has given me security. This is security, right? Because this is a choosing that never was based on me. It was according to the purpose of his will from the foundations of the world. God had a reason in himself, whether I fully get that or not, God had a reason and a resource in himself that became the basis for him to pick me. So what does that do for how I'm living today and the pressure that I create to make my life something, make God something toward me? God was something toward me when I wasn't doing anything toward him. That's the kind of God that's in this word of the cross. That's who's revealed here. See, this word, don't run past this word of the cross. All this stuff is tucked inside. You take one bite of the word of the cross and you're tasting this calling, this sovereign election of God. And when we read these verses here, here's what we get. Here's the ingredients to taste. Unqualified benefit. Unmerited favor. Undeserved abundance, unearned compensation, unattracted affection. A God who has affections toward us without you and I having to manage it by how attractive we are to him. He manages it and he is affectionate toward us. Here, how's this? You know, you read verse 26 and and you find out there's, there's a lot here that we're just not. We're just not a bunch of things, right? Verse 27, well, verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers. Many of you, not many of you, rather, were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I'm not sure, does does this feel right to hear that? This is the Bible telling you, you know, you just weren't all that. Just not really, really impressive in these categories. Well, if you think carefully, this is the strange joy of hearing what you are not and what you don't have to be. How much pressure does that take off? You, you never had to be these things. For God to call you to be his own. You didn't have to be wise, smarter than anybody else, wise enough to avoid stupid decisions, wise enough to not embarrass God if he picked you. You didn't have to be any of those things. You didn't have to be powerful. You didn't have to be influential. You didn't have to work your way into making a name for yourself so that you've got a power structure from which to influence. You didn't have to be that. You, you could have had influence over no one. And God picked you. Didn't have to have the right name. Didn't have to come from the right family. Didn't have to be known because your name is this and you're associated with that and somebody else. You can come from a family that nobody can even pronounce your name. They've never heard of you. Isn't this good news? I mean, the pressure is off. Right? You and I live under the daily pressure of trying to get this stuff and manipulate and make this stuff happen. God says, it's not part of your calling. It's not why I called you. 
Matter of fact, some of you were foolish, verse 27 says. That's a fun word there. It's a word morose. Does it sound like moron? Yeah. Actually, it's translated in the Greek blockhead in some places. Some of you were blockheads. So if your parents were calling you that, you can immediately say, but that doesn't disqualify me from being picked. (laughs) You were weak. You were low and despised. You just weren't all that. You know what's interesting here? Is this is first century. These guys can feel so different than us. And, and that Paul picks up these words and uses these are these are labels everybody sticks on each other. These are comparative elements. In the first century, just like in the 21st century, people were run around labeling themselves, labeling others, and comparing themselves to each other. In the, nothing new under the sun, right? We live in the same habits. But think for a second. What impact does this have on my struggles with insignificance? Not measuring up. Not attractive enough. Not talented enough. Not wealthy enough. Can't have a great future because of my insufficiency in some category. In my education. Or my personality. Or money that creates opportunity. What what do you do when you assess your life as lacking in all these categories and then try and project into a future that's full of hope and blessing and good? You might want to consider your calling. You might want to figure out how'd you get here? Undeserved. I didn't have any of these qualities. And yet look where I am. I'm one of God's peeps. How did this happen? This should shape something about us, right? Can you imagine the impact? I think I wrote this in your outline. Can you imagine the impact this revelation could have on all kinds of human striving and manipulation and self-absorption and fear and self-pressure and jealousy and comparison? This is going to answer a question. There there is a love. In love, God chose. In love, he did this. There is a love made available to us that that cannot be found anywhere else. There is no love like the love of God. Oh, we, we, we punish one another when we start looking for this kind of love to come from mere human beings. There are moments when we manifest the love of God to one another. And in a fallen world, there'll be moments followed up by that where we're not manifesting it. This is the source. This is the place to get it. And, and, and all of our hearts are longing for this. Have you heard this, this song? It's been kind of popular on the radio. Called Love Me. Sung by a woman. I'm not sure who it is. But this, this is the lyrics. You'll recognize it. He cries in the corner where nobody sees. He's a kid with the story no one would believe. He prays every night, dear God, won't you please, could you send someone here who will love me? And the chorus is, who will love me for me? Not for what I've done or what I will become. Who will love me for me? And the other verse says, her office is shrinking a little each day. She's a woman whose husband has run away. She'll go to the gym after work today. Maybe if she was thinner, then he would have stayed. She says, who will love me for me? Not for what I've done or what I will become. 
He'll just love me, period. Not based on some condition, not based on something I've stroked or performed or gotten into your wheelhouse or your category sufficiently enough that finally I've given you a reason to love me. Because if I had to give you a reason to love me, that's fragile ground from now on. Because your reasons could change in the future. And I could begin to fail to give you what you're after. And I'm done then. I'm going to be getting love from you. In your outline I wrote out, it says, Our hearts long for a love toward us that cannot be spoiled by our lack or our future failure to meet some standard. A love that doesn't move on when it gets bored with us or finds something better. How many people are in a relationship and in the back of your mind, that's the giant fear that you live with? That at some point, you're going to run out of persuasion. You're not going to be attractive as you once were. Somebody's just going to get tired of your personality and the way you are and they get bored with that and they're just ready to move on. Or somebody better comes along, shows up in the cubicle next to them. A love that's exactly the same today as it was yesterday, a year ago, at the beginning. How about from the foundation of the world? A love that has never changed. A love that does not call us because of something intrinsically valuable in us. It calls and it loves because of something that is in this God. See, this this is the word of the cross. See, I mean, understand the cross never happens if God is not this way. Man cannot do something to generate an attraction of God to send his own son to die in our place and to restore us to himself. We are are filthy and he wants to be restored to us. Don't, Don't run past this gospel, this word of the cross too quickly that you miss out on the taste. Do you do you taste this? Does it affect you? One one last thought here. It's an interesting phrase used in verse 30. Just furthering this thought, it says, and because of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord because of him you are in Christ Jesus why why are you here because of him Anthony Thistleton says this must come about only through God's chosen method of gift. Not through their preferred method of self-promotion. See, self-promotion breeds boasting in the wrong place. The phrase from him, the REB renders, by God's act. New American Standard says, by 
His doing are you in Christ. Merkline comments that Paul presses the point that the reversal is no product of human effort. It's through the initiative of God, without whom the Christians in Corinth would have remained nothings, nobodies. See, this is, this is where sound doctrine is it's just helpful. See, this is, this is really, really good news once you've digested the Bible's teaching on the doctrine of total depravity. Because total depravity introduces me to my condition in the fallen realm in which I exist. In which there's nothing I can perform. I can't get good enough. I can't excel enough. I can't do or be something that wins God. I can't. If I'm convinced of my total depravity, I must look to God to create a solution for me that I cannot solve myself. And then I find out that God is a certain way and he does exactly that. This is really, really good news. But it does have a little bit of an unwelcome component to it. It's totally about him. I'm, I'm not sure I'm all right with that. I mean, I'd like to feel like I made some kind of contribution. I'd like to feel like something about me, something about my uniqueness, something about me matters, huh? I mean, I, I, I just want to feel that way. I just feel better. Listen, I don't want a lot of credit. But, I, you know, how can my life be significant if it's not something that I'm doing here that matters in this, you know? Well, is it gift, as Thistleton said, or is it through self-promotion? Listen, this, this comes to us early in life. As soon as a child can speak, at some point, they're going to tell you no. You're going to try and help them tie their shoe, and they are going to be offended. And they're going to tell you no. Y'all seen that little video commercial of the... About a three-year-old in the back seat of a car. I mean, this kid is comical. I think about three. And the, the dad tries to turn around and help buckle the child into the seat. And the child just resists. Cute as can be, by the way. Just says, no, no, you drive. You drive. No, you, you worry about your own self. <laughs> I mean, the child can barely put sentences together. It's like, do not help me. Do, no, I got this. That never goes away. It just, it sounds as silly at 30 or 50. No, no. You God, I got this. No, I saved me. I fixed me. No. And we still sound just as silly. There's something in us. I, I want to be the mover and shaker just somehow. But what you have here is a God who shows up unannounced, uninvited, and insists that his grace drown us. And the only thing you can do is boast in him. There's, just not, there's not an ounce of boasting that's going to come my way when that's the equation. That, let, me, let me just tip you off as to how to be aware that, you know, hey, yeah, we all agree with this, but there's, there's little stuff out there. 
little stuff out. Eric, you can go ahead and come back up. Little stuff out there that kind of weasels its way in. Right? Right, so I'm walking through the airport, getting ready to fly to the pastor's conference the other day, and I just happened to walk past a TV that's doing an interview with a famous pastor book writer. And, you know, it's about, it's about how you can make your life something better than it is. That's the, kind of the book premise. And, but you, you just got to choose to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, the woman interviewing this man says this, you know, and she's kind of suspicious, kind of like, really? That's all it takes? She goes, there are people, this is what she said, there are people weighed down by the world who think, you know, all the positive thinking in the world isn't going to change that. This is his response. He says, I would say it's a choice you have to make. Because if you stay negative and discouraged, it's just going to draw in more negativity. When you turn it around and have an attitude of faith and believe that you can rise higher, I I think you have to get up and you have to make the choice. It doesn't fall on you. It's a choice that I'm going to see the good today. That, that's, that's, that's change and hope for the future that doesn't even involve God. It's all about you making the right choice. But if I understand the doctrine of depravity correctly, and I understand this verse right here, God shows up in your world when you don't know how to ask, when you don't ask well, when you don't perform well, you're not on a hot streak, you don't have the right attitude going today, you're not being positive enough, you're not doing much of anything right. And God insists that he show up in your world and lavish his grace upon you. And he insisted that because he had a purpose to do it from the foundations of the world. That's a little different. Please, Please notice this stuff when you live in life. This vast amount of human potential that's being pumped into our world will cause you not to look to God. And you won't have a God who does this kind of stuff. You'll have a God who only does what you allow him to do and what you have the influence, the power over him to do. Did you know that's not the God of the Bible? Did you know God shows up in some people's lives in ways that they completely, totally don't deserve? They're on a hot streak of one stupid thing after another. Some of us hate this. It's like, God, I thought I was doing pretty well. That person's been dumb, ignorant moron, getting an upgrade to moron, and then you show up and bless them and just poof, out of nowhere, here comes God in his grace. It's like, you shouldn't be allowed to do that, God. Well, where do we get this idea? We get it from the idea that something we do needs to shape what God will do. When you bite into the word of the cross and you taste it, you're going to taste this. There's a God who's involved himself with you when you gave him no reason. And his grace swallowed up your life. And he'll do it again tomorrow. And next month and next year. Because that's what he's like. Let's stand up together. Oh, Lord, this is, this is a moment where, Lord, we just want to leave this place today with a, a taste lingering on our lips. 
Lord, you have invited us to consider, to think and receive and perceive and see things tucked in who you are and what you've done, to taste. Maybe you're here this morning and you came into this place and your life is full of conflicts, quarrels. Maybe life feels like a frequent visit to thoughts about how you've been victimized by what others failed to do or didn't show up right or still aren't in your life the way they need to be. Maybe life has got a lot of self-pity in it. This morning, can can I invite you to lift your eyes from the people level to the God level. To look what he has done in your life, the calling that he has given, the relationship that he has granted, the status he has made, the purpose of life that he has given to you to show forth the excellencies of him, to know him, in the most satisfying way. Could it be that the struggles in these categories are because you look to people too much? You expect too much of them. The only one that you can expect that much from is God himself. And he welcomes that expectation. He invites you this morning. Turn your attention to him. Hear what he's done. Hear who he is to you. Hear about the future that you have. Because of him. And his grace for you. You know, there are some here, you've, you've been in relationship settings where you're asking the question, who, who will love me for me? Not because I stroked them. Not because I did something that pleased them enough and enough over and over. Not because I never made a mistake. Listen, it may be that there are people in your life who struggle to love anyone this way. But there is this one place you can go in all the universe to receive a love that's not about what you're going to be, it's not about what you've done. It's a love that comes from a God who is love. And he grants and he gives and you sense it and you taste it and it revolutionizes your life. It will change the way you relate to your world. Lord, you have invited us this morning to consider something. But could it be that we've, we've heard these things, but we've not considered them? Lord, why would you be telling the Corinthians to consider these things? They knew these things, but 
there was something more to taste. There was more to experience. Lord, this morning, would you make this place a room full of experiencing the knowledge of you? God, we've got bookshelves and we've got recollections of stories and messages and things we've read. But God, we need to taste and see what you are like. You are good and you love this way. You have made us your own. And the pressure, Lord, is off of us. You took the pressure. Lord, Monday will come, Tuesday will come. Lord, for some, we will be tempted to just look right back at people, draw from them. Do I fit in? What do they think of me? Am I included? Do you love me? Will you love me? Is my love secure with you, Lord? Lord, we could be right back here Monday morning. Lord, we will need to consider. Help us, Lord, to consider. Lord, this word of the cross is worth taking a moment just to ponder and taste and to be affected by. Lord, let us identify. Let us be able to have our taste buds come out screaming. Ah, I taste grace. I taste unmotivated grace. I taste unearned affection. Did you taste it? Lord, only you can help us taste these things. We don't want them. We cannot have them to be strangers to us. So Lord, would you take us back to this verse? Would you take us back to this setting over and over and over again? Until that taste is on our lips and affects us. Not just while we're sitting in here this morning, but as we walk this week. sing this together oh great god of highest heaven occupy my lowly heart own it all and reign supreme conquer every rebel power let no vice or sin remain your holy war you have loved and purchased me make me yours forevermore I was blinded by my sin had no ears to hear your did not know your love within had no taste for heaven's joys then your spirit gave me life opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son Let's do
these things more clearly when songs rise from our hearts when our praise and our boasting is in you when we marvel at your sight Lord help us and thank you for the grace that assures that you will in Jesus name Amen listen if you're uh, if you're here this morning you need prayer for something that's, that's going on in your life maybe some healing issues Maybe conflict and struggle is something you just like for God to meet you this morning with power to overcome. The elders are available to pray for you if you want to come forward and just make that known to us. We'll be glad to pray with you.